If you think about one of the main value drivers of real estate being the tax benefits, well, you need clean books to maximize your tax benefit. So I think that's something where it's a bit of an education process. And I imagine we'll see a big uptick in usage towards the end of the year and Q1 of next year as tax time comes around. And then hopefully we've made it so easy to use that people realize, especially with some of like the rules-based automation that they can put in, that this is something where they spend half an hour, an hour a month simply doing their books, then they don't need to go spend 30 hours at the end of the year trying to figure out what was that expense from February of the prior year. I had no idea what I spent the money on, and now I don't know if I can deduct it or not. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Vikas Gupta. Vikas is the CEO of Azebo, a property technology company for real estate investors that can help you streamline the management of your property, getting down to the rent collections, maintenance requests, lease signings, applications, everything around that. Really fascinating platform that we are digging into today. The features that they've added to the platform over the years, things that they've tried that have been a good idea, but have been a little slow for the market to adopt. And that will change down the road. But we're really digging in today to the technology side of managing rentals. So many real estate investors have not streamlined their operations with technology, I think mainly because of two reasons. One, they're not aware of what's out there. They don't know about all of the tools and automations that are available. And two, if they're aware of those, they tend to overestimate the cost and the difficulty of getting onboarded on those pieces of technology. So that's what we're digging into today is the availability of technology and then also how easy and affordable their platform is free this technology really can be. So it's a great conversation. We also talk about trends that they see in the market. Remember, if you're the software company that is helping real estate investors manage so many rentals, well, you get a pretty good idea of what's happening in the market. So that's what we're going to dig into today as well. It's a great conversation. He and I were on the phone for quite a while here and It's just a wealth of knowledge about real estate, about technology companies and startups and so much more. So great conversation. You're going to learn a ton. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, once again, our guest is Vikas Gupta. Let's go. Vikas, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to learn about what you're seeing in the market today from a prop tech standpoint, what you're seeing investors doing today and everything around that. But before we get into that, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself, your background and what you're in today as far as a real estate business goes? Yeah, thanks for having me, Taylor. Excited to be here. So I'm the CEO of Azibo, A-Z-I-B-O. We provide a unified financial and property management software solution for independent real estate investors in the US. So real quickly, like we're serving the folks in the audience, right? Anywhere from one unit, two unit, five unit, 10 units. I mean, we have folks on the platform who are up to several hundred units, but that's 
that's the exception, not the rule. Like our sort of sweet spot is in the sub 50 unit range. And, you know, I think for a long time, there's been a host of solutions, whether it's the Yardies, the real pages, the app folios that were built to serve large institutional owner operators, property managers, make their lives easier, but everyone else got left behind. There wasn't that type of software for the individual who's trying to build their own wealth, build a retirement nest egg, build some cash flow for their family. They're doing it on the side and software is like the perfect solution to make it easier for them. And that's what we're here to do. So we help manage all the finances. So automated digital rent collection with a host of sort of like benefits on the tenant experience, banking, bill payments, all of that integrated with a purpose-built accounting solution. So you can be sure to like maximize your tax deductions at the end of the year, make your CPA happy by having clean books. And then a whole host of other features like applications, integrated credit and background checks, state-specific leases. So you don't have to go hire a lawyer. You can get that on a one-off transactional basis, e-sign document management, tenant communications, maintenance coordination, all in one software platform. And the best part is we give all the software away for free because we make all our money on value-added transactional services. So you can use all the software for free. And then if you happen to need a lease, we charge you for that. $29.99, I think it's a fair price. It's a lot cheaper than hiring a lawyer. We need a credit and background check. You know, your prospect pays $39.99. So we have a bunch of stuff like that that's in there, but the core software, you can use it for free and really automate automate the way you run your business. But I guess I, I sort of deviated away from me. So So my background, I've spent a big, almost my entire career in technology prior to Azebo, spent over a decade prior to Azebo at various other early stage startups. I've been a founder. I've run product for a Series A company. I've done some stints in VC. I spent six years at an enterprise data company where I joined as you know employee number 20, left as employee number 175. That was a fun ride. So a whole host of different things early stage. Prior to my early stage career, I spent three years at loopnet.com. I joined them right after they went public. And that was a super interesting ride. That was more on the commercial space, but I joined in 2006. I left in 2009. So you can imagine joining a company almost at like the height of the 2000s real estate boom and then seeing how does a management team in a newly publicly traded company manage a company that is selling into a sector that is absolutely getting demolished in 2008, 2009. So that was an interesting experience. And then I started my career as a consultant at McKinsey & Company. So that's sort of the quick background on me. Wow. Awesome. So pretty extensive background. Thanks for filling us in. So earlier on, you mentioned the larger management software companies that are out there. Maybe it's not the way, right way to put it, but the, the companies that go after the folks that own, you know, 100, 200 unit type properties and up, the much more enterprise mm -hmm. scale, whereas you're targeting a mom and pop Main Street real estate investor, mm -hmm. if you will, which is great. There's this idea in business of B2B versus B2C, right? And the enterprise software folks would certainly consider themselves B2B, right? They're a business selling to other businesses. Whereas in your business, how do you think about that in terms of designing your product, designing your business, your sales processes and everything? Do you identify as B2B as in business to business or B2C as in business to consumer? Yeah. I mean, I think we're sort of B to SMB, if you will. So there's elements of a B2B process and there's also elements of a B2C process. And so from a B2B process, 
it is still a business decision that people are making. So the value props are around business value props. Like we're going to help you save time. We're going to help you save money. We're going to help you maximize the returns through all the tax stuff that I talked about, right? Those are very much business value props, but from a like marketing channel and a product experience perspective, it has to be much more consumer or on the consumer side than on the enterprise side. And what I mean by that, for example, in a lot of enterprise software, I mean, it's been changing over the past 10, 15 years, but in a lot of enterprise software, you run into the situation where the person who buys it is not the person who uses it. And so it's designed to get the sale and it's not designed to be easy to use. In our case, and in a lot of like smaller SMB software, the person buying it is the person who's using it. So it has to be very easy to use. We design it for self-onboarding. We have a team. We have a customer support team that's there to help you. We have people who help you onboard, but it's designed to be something where you can just sign up, get going, use it because we don't want to put people through and these people don't want to be put through the like, click here, sign up for a demo, spend 15 minutes on a phone with an SDR. They ask you basic questions that you could have provided in an email. Then they pass you up. Next week, let me do a 30-minute demo with the AE. Cool. Let's do a solutions engineering call. And then let's sign an MSA. It's like, they don't want to do all this stuff. Now we'll give you a demo if you want a demo, but we don't like force you down this structured pipeline. Like just go in, use the product. If you like it, you can use it. If you don't like it, please call us and we'll tell you how to make it something that you're going to like. And then there's an element of the business that is very consumer, which is we also serve the renter. And so when the investor uses our platform for rent collection, they invite their renters to pay rent through our platform. And so we actually, and because your average investor on our platform has more units than one, there's actually more renters who use our system than there are investors. And so from like a user perspective, like we actually have five times the number of renters as we do investors. And so we put a lot of time and energy into the renter experience. And that is very much a consumer experience has to be very, you know, people are used to things like Venmo and Cash App to do payments. So we have to make it easy to use, easy to access on the go, super simple, automated, set it and forget it, value-added benefits like building your credit, like all sorts of things to make it something that resonates with the consumer side as well as the actual real estate investor. Interesting. I had not thought about that. You have more tenants than you do property owners on the platform. But if everybody owns on average more than one unit, mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So, and you're going to have turnover and new yep. folks coming in all the time. So on that onboarding process, I would imagine you're, you know, probably bringing on investors who already own properties and they might be looking to expand, but they have some system that they've either been on or they've kind of cobbled together on their own through Excel spreadsheets and stuff, and they're looking to automate yep. that. How onerous is that onboarding process? And how have you worked to like streamline it and make it more straightforward, right? Because that's what people don't want is like a big headache getting yep. on the platform, getting set up. Yeah. So we have an onboarding experience that walks you through how to get set up. So the steps are pretty straightforward. If you want to do rent collection, you add a property, you know, we integrate with the Google API so that auto fill the address, pull all the information we can, you add your property, 
Then uh, if you want to invite someone for rent collection, we ask them questions around, all right, what are the payment terms? So when did the lease start? When does it end? What's the rent? Are there late fees? What's your late fee setup? A couple other toggles, then provide the tenant information, hit send, and an invitation gets sent out and that's it. So it's pretty straightforward. And so if you have a couple properties that you want to onboard, you can go through that experience and it's super quick. Now, if you want to onboard, you know, call it 10 properties, some of which have multiple units. So 10 properties, 20, 25 units. Like we understand like going through that one unit at a time can be a bit time intensive. And so we also offer free bulk onboarding solutions. So if you call our onboarding team, they'll send a spreadsheet over to you. You just fill it out with the information you should already have on hand, property address, rent terms, tenant information. We'll upload it for you on the back end and get you going. Wow. Awesome. Okay. So have there been any features along the way that you've added to the platform and have found that, wow, the user base is maybe not taking to this quite to the extent that we had expected. That's just part of business. We're going to add features and benefits that we can't necessarily predict what our customers are going to think. So has there been anything that you thought was going to be like a big deal that you know turned out folks didn't really much care for? Yes and no. So I would say that we recently launched our accounting suite and it is purpose built for this specific customer. So the chart of accounts like all your expense and income categories are designed out of the box. We partnered with Brandon Hall, who goes by the realestatecpa.com. He was our CPA advisor on it to make sure that we got it right. And it's a full-blown accounting suite that is frankly better than QuickBooks for this specific audience because QuickBooks is a nightmare for property owners for a whole host <laughs> of reasons. It's a great product if you're a business that it fits. Like we run a Zebo on QuickBooks and it's fantastic for that. But once you get into like, I need to be able to split things out by property and I have multiple legal entities, all of which are very common for property owners, QuickBooks starts to become difficult. And so we've designed it with all that in mind and it's very easy to use. Now, to answer your question, we launched that sort of at the end of Q1. We are seeing nice adoption on it, but not to the level that I thought that we would. And I think it's really, you know, it's one of those things that no one wants to think about accounting until it's tax time. Whereas that being said, like you probably, if you spend one hour a month doing it, you're probably in a better place than waiting until the end of the year, because then you're not looking at 15 different bank transactions that say Home Depot trying to figure out which one went to which property and which one was paint for the house versus which one was business expenses or whatever it may be, right? Like clean books, as much as it feels like, you know, eating your broccoli type activity, clean books is, if you think about one of the main value drivers of real estate being the tax benefits, well, you need clean books to maximize your tax benefit. So I think that's something where it's a bit of an education process. And I imagine we'll see a big uptick in usage towards the end of the year in Q1 of next year as tax time comes around. And then hopefully we've made it so easy to use that people realize, especially with some of like the rules-based automation that they can put in, that this is something where they spend half an hour, an hour a month simply doing their books, then they don't need to go spend 30 hours at the end of the year trying to figure out what was that expense from February of the prior year. And I had no idea what I spent the money on. And now I don't know if I can deduct it or not. <laughs> Yeah. So you, you'll be there with the product when yeah. people are ready to switch, yeah. but it's 
just being there and being yeah. ready when they're yeah. ready to go. So there's also the data angle of this, right? Because that's a lot of tech companies generally just having all the data that they receive can be a, a pretty healthy revenue source. Not that I'm sell- t- saying you're selling data or anything. I don't know anything about that. But as far as knowledge of the market and market insights. So generally, what are you seeing? What trends are you seeing in the market? Are folks able to keep their properties occupied? Are you seeing you know, longer tenant stays than normal or seeing rents trending upward? What do you see generally? Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing I do want to say is that we're not selling data. So the, the data- I didn't mean to put that at evil. No, like that's just, a good, <laughs> I used to work in a data company and I think- I don't think it's as, and as a result of that, I've seen a lot of shady practices, not necessarily that company, but just being in the space. And there's also a lot of valid reasons to do data exchanges and share data. And so I don't, I think that's a whole nother podcast, but we don't, yeah. we're not selling your data. In terms of, of what we're seeing, I mean, I think this is sort of a combination of qualitative and quantitative, but the main sort of thing we're hearing and we're especially hearing it from some folks who are using the accounting software, is in this market, different from a lot of the last 10, 15 years, there has been a big shift towards, let me make sure that I am optimizing the operations of my current portfolio. So it's not the, my property is going to appreciate 5 to 10% a year, and it's very easy to refi, so I can just cash that out and go buy another property. And so who cares if I'm squeezing every dollar out of the rents because the appreciation in the refi sort of cycle is generating so much return that it doesn't really matter. Now it's okay. Debt is expensive. It's a lot harder to do in general. Deals aren't happening as much. There's not as many investment opportunities. So I have something now. Let me make sure I'm operating that correctly. And the reason I sort of link that back to the accounting is to really know, hey, am I paying too much for utilities? Am I paying too much for landscaping? Am I paying too much for upkeep? Like, In order to know if you're paying too much, you need to know how much you're paying. And so it is a lot of back to basics on, let me manage my expenses closely. You know, Maybe I was okay with paying utilities, but now can I actually pass that on? Is it worth making the investment and metering it? And then on the rent side is, it's much more like, am I rent optimized? And now that one is always, I think, a bit nuanced having generally speaking right it's everything's in the margins but generally speaking having a good tenant is more valuable than squeezing another 10 bucks a month out of that tenant but especially if i'm turning over a unit am i pricing to market is that an opportunity to raise rents can i put a thousand two thousand five thousand dollars into this unit and raise rents by a hundred bucks a month and like get like a fairly high roi on that rehab on a limited rehab Uh, I think those are the things that people are starting to look at and that's what we're starting to see. And then to bring it back to sort of like the accounting piece is like all of those, like on the margin, am I performing one or two or 3% better, whether you're doing it with us or you're doing it in Excel, right? That's like very much like tracking the numbers very closely. And I think that's why it's important to be able to, again, whether it's a Zeebo, we, we obviously think we make it easy for folks. We've heard that, you know, the average customer saves between one to two hours a month per unit that they own. So if you're a five, 10 unit customer, that's basically getting a few working days a month back in your life, which is a lot, especially if you're doing this as a side business. But even if you're not doing it with us, right, doing it on Excel, or even if you're old fashioned pen and paper, 
just like being able to optimize your business requires understanding your business and understanding your business requires having a very good understanding of the finances and the cash flows both in and out. Absolutely. What gets measured gets mm -hmm. managed, I mm -hmm. believe, is the classic saying. Yep. So as far as marketing vacant rentals, do you currently have like integrations with any of those platforms? Are you working on that? Where do you stand on like marketing vacancies? Yeah. So that is the one piece of the sort of end-to-end -end chain that we currently don't play in. We're not planning on building it at this time. And the reason is that while I'd love to be able to say we did it and from like an external marketing perspective, there's value potentially in just like saying on the website, we help you market your listings. It's like when you really get into it, like we haven't been able to figure out how can we do that in a way that really provides a lot of value. And providing a lot of value to us is can we truly make this the one place where you can manage all of your listings? And we can't today. And the, rea the reality is, is still marketing listings is very much specific on what kind of property you have, what geography you're in. So for example, where I live in Los Angeles, a lot of property marketing is done just by putting a sign in front of the property because it's a relatively low vacancy very low vacancy market. You don't really have to try that hard, especially in certain neighborhoods to find tenants. You just put a sign out front. That's not something we can necessarily help you with. There are also local marketplaces that don't necessarily accept listings. And then some of the larger marketplaces, I'm not going to name names, but one of the largest marketplaces out there doesn't always play nice with third-party service providers that they think could be competitive with them. So if we can't get your listings everywhere they need to be, I'm not so sure we're providing a lot of value. And just saying that, hey, we can get you to these 10 sites that may not be the next best fit for your property, but I'm going to do that just so I can check the box and see I do listings like that to me doesn't seem like the best strategy. Now, what we do have is an applications product where we generate a link and you can embed that link anywhere or you can send it directly to people. So in whatever mechanism you list your property, whether it's, you can even do it putting a sign out in front, or if you're pushing it to Facebook groups, or if you're putting it on Craigslist, although I don't think people do that anymore, that shows you how old I am. You can use that link and get all your applications. <laughs> yeah. All those years ago when I was a renter, I got a, a lot of the places I lived in off of Craigslist. So yeah, that shows you my age as well. So one of the things that I've noticed in my opinion is that Real estate investors in general aren't great at cybersecurity. So how do you handle that in your platform? Are you forcing people to do two-factor authentication? You know, how do you work the cybersecurity part of things? Yeah. So we force everyone to do two-factor authentication. We also have a bunch of fraud checks and screening that we put into place in order to do rent payments on our platform, you have to pass ID verification in order to open a bank account. And also to do rent payments, we also do like know your customer, know your business checks. Now, some of that is legally required, but some of that's also frankly just to protect ourselves and to protect tenants and anyone you may be doing business with. Because the last thing we want is a fraudster to sign up, pretend to be a landlord, invite all that landlord's tenants. They think it's coming from that landlord. And then all of a sudden you have a lot of money and a lot of pain because tenants think they're paying someone who is pretending to be someone else. So we put all those checks in place to keep things secure and to protect people. Now, unfortunately, that causes friction. It does make it harder 
for some people to get onboarded because nothing is perfect. But if people do run into a block and they call us, we typically ask for a series of documents, run secondary screening and try to get them on the platform. So it's one of those things where, you know, unfortunately, more security does introduce more friction into the system. We do think it's for the best of everyone. But there are people, unfortunately, who do get a bit frustrated when they inadvertently trigger a fraud check. And then we have to do some sort of like off offline secondary screening. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but that friction is all intended to catch the bad actors. So ultimately, you know, a good system has that friction in it for a very good reason. Yeah. So great. Glad you uh, have the handle right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right. I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Let's do it. Awesome. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So I'm certainly very fortunate in that I grew up in a family that saved money, valued saving, invested money. I also hit my sort of teenage years in the late 90s when it was a bull market. And so it's a lot easier to get interested in finance, saving, and investing when it's a bull market than I think when it's a bear market or a flat market. But I guess to sort of like, that's all setting context. So directly answer your question, the best investment I made is the stuff that I bought when I was very young and held on to forever. I think, and it was index funds, so it's not sexy, but I'm a big believer in like, at least for a portion of your portfolio and, or if you don't want to be an active investor at all, like set it, forget it, try not even to think it exists and just let it sit there for a long, long time. And eventually whatever it's 5%, 6%, 8%, like compounding returns over 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years until you retire, a little bit of money gets very big. And so the best investments that I've made are the ones that I bought when I was very young and have not touched. And they're not exciting. They yes, are ETFs the market in, rather index than funds. Timing the market. Yes. <laughs> nice. Well, investing is fun, but I do like boring investments. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst yeah. investment you ever So made? the worst investments I've ever made is whenever I violated my best investment rule, which is whenever I've tried to actively invest my money. So whenever I've tried to pick stocks, whenever I've tried to time the market, whenever I've tried to think, you know what? I think this is an exciting opportunity. Let me take some money and dabble and see what happens. More often than not, I lose money. And I have learned that, you know what? I am not... I am not, me personally, there are lots of things that I am good at. One of those things is not picking winners in the stock market. So whenever I have forgotten that rule, it doesn't have to be the stock market. There was unfortunately a crypto phase that also did not end well for me. Oh, this seems exciting. Let me figure out what's going on here. I made some money. I lost more money. Whenever I have actively invested my money into things, generally speaking, it has not ended well. So my worst investment... And I guess my lesson around investing for me personally, and I think for a lot of people there who, you know, you have a lot of interests and hobbies for me, like I run a business that takes almost all of my mental energy. I don't have a lot left over to go figure out another business. It's, you know, passively investing makes a lot of sense to me. Actively investing has always got me into trouble, no matter how fun or how good of an idea it seemed like at the time. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah. 
other than the two that I just talked about with respect to investing in business, I want to say the importance of a team. And I think that is consistent across every type of business, certainly in the types of businesses that I've worked with and run technology startups. The team is everything, especially in the early days, because we're trying to create something from nothing. And so how fast can we move? How well do we work together? That's from a value creation perspective. Then there's also just like the human element of like, I'm going to be going to work day to day. I'm going to be spending a lot of time with these people. Good people make it fun and energizing. People you don't quite mix well with, suck energy out, make it less fun. And, you know, like work should be at least a little bit fun. Otherwise, why why are you spending so much time there? I think to connect that back to the topic of, of the podcast and real estate in general, I think one thing that's been a common theme that from all the real investors, real estate investors who I've talked to, who I know, you know, they also talk about the importance of the team. And while it's not quite the same as me having FTEs and to those who aren't necessarily in the real estate space, you may think, hey, like if I own five properties, like what is my team? Well, you have to have it. Like it's your agent. How are you finding the right investment opportunities? How are you trusting that it's a good investment opportunity? How are you making sure you get the right deal? It's your lender. It's developing good relationships with lenders. That can be the difference between getting a property, not getting a property, getting a loan done. If you have professional property managers, it's your product success of that operating business is going to be in the hands of that property manager. It's your vendors. Do you have plumbers you can trust? Do you have maintenance people you can trust, especially if you're self-managing? Do you have someone you can call who can help you show a unit if you can't be there? I mean, you're not doing it on your own, even if you may think, even if people may think that it's sort of like as an individual real estate investor, you're doing it on your own. And so the importance of the team is critical there as well. And so I think that's common across many different fields, even if they may feel or seem from the outside that they're sort of individual businesses. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all this knowledge. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about your company, anything like that, where can they track you? Yeah. So they can come to our website, azibo.com, A-Z-I-B-O.com. You can also feel free to email me directly. That's Vikas, V-I-K-A-S at azibo.com. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.